Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. The George, Pato, Edwards, and Allergial Syndrome. What do all of these syndromes have in common? They are all chromosomal disorders that have a 75% or higher incidence of congenital heart defects associated with them. There are, in fact, 15 different recognized chromosomal disorders that have a 25% incidence or higher of an associated congenital heart defect. For some of these syndromes, the heart defect is not the major source of concern because so many other factors are even more worrisome. Thanks to the Human Genome Project, we are finally discovering how changes at the chromosomal level may be the cause of some heart defects, what those changes at the molecular level do to the human body, and hopefully, in the future, we'll be able to use science to combat these disorders before the afflicted babies are even born. Today, our topic is genetics in the congenital heart defect community. CHDs affect at least one in 100 births, according to the Children's Heart Foundation. Some researchers believe this may be a very conservative estimate. Our guests today are Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, Ben Weisbuck of the Heart Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. Jennifer Reed is a coordinator at Mended Little Hearts of Dallas, Texas. Jennifer Reed is currently a senior at the University of Texas at Tyler, and a special education instructional aide at Canton High School in Canton, Texas. She is a mother of two girls, Adeline, five years old and healthy, and Olivia, 18 months old, with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, quotation of the aorta, bilateral superior, superior vena cava, arthropagic, oh goodness, I knew I was going to stumble over this, but you can help me later with this, Jennifer, arthropro. I'm not even going to try that. I'll have her tell me about later. This is the uh, one of her birth defects that's very complicated. Scoliosis, gastroesophageal reflux disorder, also known as GERDs, reactive airway disease, chronic lung disease, and 22Q11.2 distal deletion. 
Jennifer's geneticist has been working hard with her to establish a genetic connection between her daughter's heart defect and a genetic condition in her family. Their chromosomal deletion is extremely rare, rare, and Dr. Shirley is working on determining if there is a genetic connection between hypoplastic left heart syndrome and their birth defect. Dr. Angela Shirley is a medical geneticist. She fell in love with genetics as a sophomore in high school and never looked back. She received her bachelor's degree from Sewanee, the University of the South, and her MD from the University of South Florida College of Medicine. Dr. Angela Shirley completed a pediatric residency at Cincinnati and genetics fellowship at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Her board certifications are in pediatrics, clinical genetics, and molecular genetics. She also completed an ethics fellowship at the University of Chicago. Dr. Angela Shirley practices at Tessera Genetics in Dallas, Texas, and is adjunct faculty at the University of Texas Southwestern. She helps care for persons of all ages with birth defects, intellectual disabilities, and genetic conditions. She also works in public health genetics at the state and national, national level, including the process to expand screening of newborns for genetic diseases and birth defects. We'll meet Ben Weisbrook and of the Heart. Heart Hope Foundation and Dr. Woody Benson, Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin later in our show. Welcome to the fifth episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, Jennifer and Dr. Angela Shirley. Thank you. So Jennifer, you told me that you have a family history of, now how do you pronounce it, arthrograposis? Yes, arthrograposis, that's correct. Finally got it right. Couldn't do it in the intro, but arthrograposis, which is a condition I never heard of before I met you. So can you tell us what it is and who in your family has been affected with it and also how it's treated? Well, arthrograposis, um, the meaning of that word actually means crooked or stuck joints. Um, So basically, ours is a distal um, form of arthrograposis, which affects the outer limbs, like our hands and feet, elbows, knees, hips, um, and we can go back as far as my great-great-grandfather to find um, evidence that that he has had arthrograposis as well. Um, it goes along my father's side. Uh, my father has it. One of his, he has a sister and a brother that has it, and each of them have one child that shows symptoms of possibly having arthrograposis, and then my sister and I um, both have it, and we're the only children that my father has, so both of us got it, and then I have two girls, and only one of my daughters has it. Wow, that's just amazing. So how is that treated? Um, Well, my father's and um, and back, they were never treated for it. Um, they've, we first started having treatment with my sister. She was a patient at Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children, um, as well as I, starting at two weeks um, once they discovered that we had the condition. And I've had six ankle surgeries to reconstruct them. Um, and my sister has had cosmetic reconstruction surgery on her hands, Uh, But basically, there's not really a lot other than bracing or cosmetic-type surgeries that you can do with the particular form that my family has. Um, They can really only go and try to reconstruct the joints to to, um, 
remedy that. So and it doesn't always work. That's an amazing situation. So I'm guessing that since your grandfather and your father, and it sounds like some aunts and uncles were affected by it, that they were looking at that as a possibility with both you and your sister. Yes. Uh, they didn't actually diagnose any of us with it until I was uh, close to being a teenager. I may have actually been a teenager when they did. Um, they just knew we had something. And I was actually the one that went through all the testing to, uh, to actually get that diagnosis. Um, which included some shock therapy in needles to see how our uh, muscles moved with everything. So there wasn't ever really a diagnosis for it until I was about a teenager. Wow. Wow. You know, it amazes me how far we've come in our knowledge of the human body just in the last several decades. It really is amazing. So were you surprised to discover that your daughter had hypoplastic lift syndrome in addition to this other birth defect? Well, we were very surprised by both. Um, We actually saw a a periodontologist during my pregnancy because we wanted to rule out whether or not Olivia was going to have arthrogryposis. Um, if, If they did show signs that she had it, they needed to have some specialists there at her delivery because it can be, um, it can be hard being born with, with the, um, with arthrogryposis. And so we, it was ruled out when I was pregnant with her and they did fetal echo on her heart to see if there was anything there. And, um, her hypoplastic left heart syndrome actually developed after 31 weeks of pregnancy. So we didn't find out until about 10 hours after she was born in May of 2012 that, that she had either the hypoplastic or the arthrogryposis. Wow. Well, you have your geneticist on with you, Dr. Angela Shirley, and so I'd like to turn some questions to her and ask her, um, Dr. Shirley, can you tell us what kind of testing you've done with Jennifer's family? She said that there wasn't even a test available until she was a teenager. So can you tell us what kind of testing is available today? Sure. What you need to remember is that genetic testing and genetics in general has undergone really a revolution starting in 1989. Uh, the Human Genome Project started a couple of years later, but the first gene that was found by what we now typically do, the process we now typically do, was the, the gene positive for cystic fibrosis, and then it, was, it snowballed from there. So it's not at all concerning that someone who is more than, say, 25 years old um, would have had no genetic testing at any time because the test simply didn't exist. Wow. Um, the, the testing that we do today even has made obsolete testing we did as recently as five years ago, so it changes all the time. Um, the test that we do today in a child born with a congenital heart defect is a test called a chromosome microarray. Um, the way I explain it is that if looking at the genetic material through a microscope, and you can see chromosomes through a microscope, is like looking at the city from an airplane. I can tell you a big stuff, but I can't tell if my mailman's come. (laughs) Doing the chromosome microarray is like knowing what mailboxes have mail in them. Uh, And Okay, so it's much more detailed, but it's still not the same as reading the alphabet of a gene. Looking at a specific gene, to stay with my analogy, 
is like going to my mailbox, pulling out my water bill, and seeing what I owe. It's looking for a specific piece of information in a specific place. So what we start with now is the chromosome microarray, this mailman test. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that is now pretty much the standard test we do in any child who's born with a birth defect, but in particular with congenital heart defects, um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we're looking for things like the DeGeorge syndrome and other, other changes that we know are associated with heart defects. <clears throat> so that's the first pass. But with any medical condition, including birth defects, we always start in the same place, which was with a history and a physical exam. And um, that's, where we, that's where we started with Olivia, just like we start with every other patient is, tell me the story of the patient, tell me about the pregnancy, tell me about the family, tell me about how the child has done since she's been born, and now we do a physical exam. In addition to the heart defect, what else is going on? As, mm-hmm. as you've already heard, in this case, there was, there's the arthrogryposis. So we have this somewhat unusual combination of a child with arthrogryposis, which is obviously something that has run in the family, but with a, a difference, with a, in this case, a congenital heart defect. Because as, as, as far as I know, as far as any of us know, Olivia is the only person in the family who has a heart problem. Um, so that, that, that's the process, the history, the physical exam, and then we start with general testing, and then if there's anything else that that story so far tells us, we go for more specific testing. Wow, it's very involved then. So this is not the kind of testing that just anybody would have. So who should seek genetic counseling? Um, well, you have to understand that I, I have a biased opinion about this. <laughs> um, but my uh, the general suggestion is that anyone who is, uh, has a birth defect or, or has a family member with a birth defect or anyone who has a problem that seems to run in the family deserves a chance to talk to someone for whom, you know, who's an expert in that field. And, that, and that's sort of where I come from. Um, there certainly are genetic conditions which uh, pediatricians and internists are incredibly comfortable dealing with. So involvement of a geneticist may be a touch base with this person and then go back if there are questions, but it doesn't need to be an involved process. And the easy example in pediatrics is Down syndrome, um, mm-hmm. which is very common, and there are, um, there are good practice managements and, and, and um, recommended testing and management of those kids. And most of the pediatricians these days are very comfortable um, having children with Down syndrome in their practice. Um, so, you know, you don't need a geneticist after the chromosomes, other than to talk about after the chromosomes are back. With, the, with more involved or more unusual conditions, um, having genetics involved is, is basically having a diagnostician involved. What you have to remember is that the heart doctors are looking at the baby's heart, and the orthopedic doctors are looking at the baby's hands, and then I'm going to just make stuff up. The eye doctor is looking at the baby's eyes, and, and so... Different doctors are looking at different pieces of the patient. Um, like the pediatrician, the geneticist is one of those people that tries to tie everything together. Um, right. And our goal in general is to see if we can put enough clues together, enough puzzle pieces together to see what the picture on the top of the box looks like. Absolutely. It's like you're a detective. Yes. Yeah, yeah. precisely. Yeah. Wow. Well, 
I hope I can do some more shows later that deal with genetics because this is a fascinating subject to me and I can see you have a lot more that you could share with our listeners, but unfortunately, we're going to have to go to a commercial break. I want to thank Jennifer Reed and Dr. Angela Shirley for being guests on the show. I so appreciate you sharing your experience and your expertise with us. We will go for a short commercial break, and when we return, you'll get a chance to meet Ben Weisbrook, find out how he faced death repeatedly, and why he thinks genetic testing is so important that he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, the Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. That's Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Today, we are talking with Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, Ben Weisbuck of the Heart Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. We just finished talking with Jennifer Reed, a mother who sought genetic counseling for her family, and her genetic counselor, Dr. Angela Shirley. Now we will turn our attention to Ben Weisbuck. On July 18, 2010, Ben Weisbuck suffered his first episode of Sudden Cardiac Arrest, or SCA. His wife, Miranda, saved his life. Ben spent five days in a coma and underwent heart surgery but managed to walk out of the hospital under his own power. Over the next three years, Ben survived over 140 separate episodes of SCA. He came close to death several times, suffering sepsis, kidney and liver failure, and six heart surgeries. One night, a rabbi prayed over Ben, expecting him to die. Genetic testing and research helped save Ben's life. 
It also reassured Ben and Miranda that their son would not have the same gene that caused Ben's SCA. Armed with this information, Ben and Miranda were able to have more children without fear of SCA. In 2013, Ben and Miranda co-founded the Heart Hope Foundation. They wanted to provide other families with the same access to the best genetic care and preventative medicine available. They wanted to fund genetic cardiac research to eventually eradicate SCA. We'll also meet Dr. Woody Benson, Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, later in our show. So welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Ben. It's my pleasure, Anna. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to talk to you because I've never met anybody who has endured so many separate episodes of SCA. When did you suffer your first episode, and can you tell us what you remember? Uh, it was July 18, 2010. Uh, at that time, I was 37 years old. What I can remember, my wife and I had just returned from our honeymoon. We arrived late at night. Uh, we were so tired, I left my keys in the front door. We went to bed uh, literally dreaming about our love and our life future together. I woke up. I'm a lawyer, so I started to text a client. And uh, about um, in the middle of the text, I, I felt sleepy, and I decided to give myself a nap. I lay down on the bed, and I woke up five days later in the hospital. My wife, fortunately, she had gone downstairs, and then she decided to come back up and to the bedroom. She saw me fall. I gasped for breath. My eyes rolled back into my head, and at some point, she said I stopped breathing. She picked up my cell phone, which I had dropped on the bed. She called 911. In about three or four or five minutes, they arrived at our house. They pulled me off the bed. They shocked me six times, and um, uh, fortunately... They revived me, um, put me into a hypothermic coma, and uh, in about five days, I woke up to my wife's voice saying that there was a problem with my heart and that um, they didn't know if I had suffered brain damage, and I, I feared that, of course, and, and then she deadpan. She says, but you're a lawyer, Ben. Uh, you had brain damage going into the hospital, so not to worry. Um, after that, they, they took me to a different hospital in Ohio, they implanted at that time, which was an experimental internal defibrillator. And I think at that point, I was the 14th person in the country to receive the device, 200th in the world. Um, the device malfunctioned over the next year and a half to the point that one night I had uh, 91 firings in six hours. There was so much energy that I actually had burn marks on my back and chest from the inside out. Um, they implanted different defibrillators. Um, none of which seemed to stop um, the occurrence. So my wife and I sought out experts across the world. We spoke to geneticists in Italy, finally a geneticist in Ohio, Dr. Peter Moeller, and a genetic counselor, Amy Sturm. Uh, they evaluated my DNA, and they decided that uh, they, they had never seen what I had. They, they, they couldn't diagnose exactly what was causing my sudden cardiac arrest. They mapped my entire genome the first time that the Ohio State University um, Medical Center has mapped the genome of, of a heart patient, all three billion base pairs, they found one letter, one, one protein, one mutated protein out of place. They then tested the uh, DNA of my family. My mom died of sudden cardiac arrest 10 years ago, and they definitively diagnosed that this, this mutated gene had caused the irregularities in my heartbeat. The discovery led then to um, understanding of my own personal biology and how my, my cells um, transfer potassium and sodium and calcium across the, uh, the membrane of the cells. This has led to new treatment, drug treatment, 
using an orphan drug used for an entirely different disease. This is um, uh, uh, the first time I have been told that this drug has been used for a heart patient. So essentially, I'm in a trial of one across the country. And this seems to have quelled the sudden cardiac arrest episodes. Wow. So you're a pioneer. Who, me? Yes, you are. No, I'm just a lucky guy who is too stubborn to die. And the (laughs) the pioneers, all the credit is, uh, is... is owed and due to the incredible researchers and brilliant scientists and genetic counselors and um, the lucky few of us who survive sudden cardiac arrest. As you know, 95 to 97% of people who suffer sudden cardiac arrest die um, before they get to the hospital. So I'm, I'm not a pioneer. I'm just lucky. Well, I, I think you're more than just lucky. I think God has a plan for you, and I think what you're doing with the Heart Hope Foundation is part of that plan. I love how you've taken something that could have just been totally devastating, and instead of letting it traumatize you, you've turned it into a vehicle for doing good. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with this Heart Hope Foundation? Well, thank you. The mission of the Heart Hope Foundation is to eradicate inherited cardiac diseases um, through genetic testing and innovative research. And the way we pursue that is we provide subsidies to individuals for, uh, to offset the out-of-pocket costs that they need to get their genetics tested. Uh, as you know, it's very expensive in some cases to get genetics tested. And a lot of people, most people, don't have the out-of-pocket costs uh, funds to pay for those out-of-pocket costs. The Heart Hope Foundation on the bookend, on the other side, um, the second program is funding micro-grants to the best ideas in game-changing research uh, for cardiac diseases, such as um, uh, to, to researchers who don't always get the limelight, don't always get the funds. And these, these game-changing ideas can go to medical researchers. They can go to genetic counselors. They also can go to software engineers and other people who are proposing game-changing ideas to redefine um, the, um, the finding solutions uh, for inherited cardiac diseases. If I can give a plug to our website, Anna, I would, I would appreciate being able to do that. Absolutely. Um, Heart Hope Foundation can be found at www.hearthopefoundation.org, just like it sounds, hearthopefoundation.org. Um, we can be found on Facebook, and that is at facebook.com slash hearthopefoundation. Uh, we currently are taking donations, and we would be happy to speak to anyone uh, um, who is on the same mission to, as, as we are to eradicate heart diseases um, using genetic research. And, and I can't thank you enough for having me on the, on the show today. Well, I'm so excited to learn that the Heart Hope Foundation exists, and there will be a link to it on the Voice America Heart Mama's channel page that has the Heart to Heart with Anna show on it. So there's a, a variety of places that people will be able to find you, and I'm so happy that my show can be one of those vehicles to get the word out about what you're doing. Thank you. So um, I'm just I'm so stunned at what you've gone through and that it seems like a very rare, hopefully this is very rare, incident that has happened to you. I've heard of long QT syndrome, which I know is genetic, and that has problems with arrhythmias, which can cause fatality, which can cause somebody to die. But yours sounds different than long QT syndrome. Well, after about a year and a half, um, yes, it is different. In fact, it's different than any known disease. Um, after, after about a year and a half, my electrocardiophysiologist 
and my cardiologist sat me down and they said, um, you know, we don't know what you have. And I said, uh, well, how many people in the United States do you know have what I have? And they said, nobody. And I, then I said, well, surely somebody in the world, you've seen um, what my EEG looks like, electrocardiogram printout looks like, and, my, and some, surely somebody across the world. And they said, we really don't know. So that, that sparked us to, to look for the genetic cause. We, um, we ha- I have something that, you know, like, like a lot of people out there have unique genetic makeup. Um, with my disease, people just don't survive. And so um, you, asked, you said about the meaning. Well, what's important is to me personally is to prevent what happened to me and my wife, who spent about 30 days not knowing if she would be a widow or a, a newlywed, um, from happening to anybody else, and then to give to others well, the opportunities that we have had. They have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on me personally and dedicating entire laboratories to figuring out what um, has caused my disease. I'm not sure if they're going to name the disease after me or the researcher. Um, frankly, <laughs> I think it doesn't, they should. doesn't matter. <laughs> or the researcher. Yeah, we can maybe have a hyphenated name for it once they finally pinpoint exactly what it is. But So it is very rare. And th- thankfully, because this sounds like it's a terrifying disease, it took your mother early. It almost took you. If your wife had not been right on top of things, it sounds to me like you probably would not be here talking to me today. So I'm curious how, it, it sounds like up until this point, you were leading a totally normal life. You became a lawyer. Nothing like this happened when you were in your teens, which is when a lot of changes take place in the human body, or even when you were in your 20s. I mean, you were in your mid to late 30s before this happened. So what kind of signs should people look for to know whether or not they should get genetic testing? Well, I had no warning. I'd played hockey internationally. I've been an athlete all my life and uh, absolutely had no warning. As I said, my mom died of, of sudden cardiac arrest. And at the time, no one told me to go test the genetics. I, I would advise others who have a history of any heart disease in their family to approach a genetic counselor. Uh, genetic cardiac counseling is, is a very uh, new field. It's been around seven, maybe ten years. I would absolutely advise someone to get tested and to approach a counselor. That's what the Heart Hope Foundation is there for, to help bridge the gap between the cost to pursue this. But I absolutely 100% would advise uh, family members to take proactive preventative steps to uh, test themselves. And there's a story of a family in Dallas um, whose father was diagnosed with the long QT syndrome, and um, he almost died. He survived. He then... Um, his daughters were tested, and one of them had long QT syndrome. She took the preventative step of having an ICD implanted. The next week, she's dribbling a basketball, and uh, she falls over and has a sudden cardiac arrest. She was saved. And yeah. the, the point is, is that she survived, I survived, I have children. Those children will have children, and the thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of lives that will be spared from the technology that exists, especially getting genetics tested, it, it's... It's overwhelming. It's unbelievable. Uh, I've been told that already families in Europe have been diagnosed with my genetic mutation. So uh, it's just I advise people to take the step, um, believe their voices in their head when they say there might be something wrong, and take active steps to prevent their sudden cardiac or other genetic heart diseases. Well, Ben, you've been such an inspiration to me sharing your story. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, I have to take a commercial break, but don't go far. It's my pleasure, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. 
Oh, absolutely. This was so informative. When we get back, we'll be talking to the world's leading geneticist and find out what he thinks the future of genetics in the congenital heart defect community is and how it has been changed over time. Thanks, and we'll be back soon. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Today, we are talking with Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, Ben Weisbuck of the Heart Hope Foundation, and Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Dr. Woody Benson. Today, we have heard from Jennifer Reed and her geneticist, Dr. Angela Shirley, about the need for certain families to undergo genetic testing. We've also heard from Ben Weisbuck, who faced death and lived, not only to share his story, but also to create a foundation to help others who need genetic testing. And now we will talk with Dr. Woody Benson. Dr. Benson is Professor of Pediatrics and Director of Pediatric Cardiac Research at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Medical College of Wisconsin. And he attended medical and graduate school at Emory University. He obtained a PhD in micromathematics, I'm sorry, in biomathematics and biomedical engineering at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and an MD from Duke University. Pediatric residency and cardiology fellowship were completed at Duke Medical Center. Early in his career, he pursued interests in cardiac electrophysiology and introduced this discipline to pediatric cardiology. In 1986, he became Director of Cardiology at Children's Memorial Hospital Northwestern. In mid-career, under the auspices of a NIH Senior Fellowship, he trained to become an investigator in the molecular genetics of pediatric heart disease, subsequently pursuing patient-oriented genetic research. 
Dr. Benson's investigations identified the role of mutations in pediatric heart disease and established bicuspid aortic valve as a complex genetic disorder. Dr. Benson, you may be one of those pioneers who helped to save Ben's life. I want to welcome you to the show. It's just such an honor for me to be with you, but in reading this small paragraph about you, because I know there's so much more about you that I just don't have the time to get into, you could be one of the people, because of the research that you've done, that contributed to Ben Weisbuck being alive today. Yes, I think it's been a very exciting addition to medicine, improving our understanding of problems that were mystifying uh, without genetic insight. Absolutely. Uh, well, in doing research for this episode, I was completely overwhelmed by the research that has been conducted in the field of pediatric cardiology regarding the role of genetics and how that may play a role in the development of congenital heart defects. You know, when my son was identified with a heart defect, that's one of the questions that my husband and I were wondering about was, did a gene cause this? And the doctors at that time, that which was 19 years ago, told us, oh no, it's a fluke of nature. I think that maybe the scientific world is starting to think it's not such a fluke anymore. So can you tell us what the current beliefs are regarding the role of genetics in possibly developing congenital heart defects? Yes. I, I think in, in terms of the question that you and your husband had and my experience as a clinician, this is one of the most important questions that all families have eventually is what caused this to happen. And I think uh, early in our discipline, uh, several decades ago, uh, based on the experience of teratu, uh, teratogens, uh, and these would be uh, maternal rubella. Uh, the mother gets German measles, and this would affect the fetus. Uh, the effects of high altitude on heart malformations, and then really the unpleasant experience with the, the medication thalidomide uh, in the 1960s really, I think, uh, led people to focus, or physicians to focus on the role of environmental factors. And so there were some very large uh, epidemiologic studies done looking for environmental factors, and one of the more famous ones was the Baltimore-Washington Infant Study. Uh, and they found that uh, that there were that they didn't find any major environmental effects, a lot of small effects, but no no major ones. Uh, and at the same time, people were aware of an association of congenital heart defects with uh, easily identified chromosomal abnormalities like Down syndrome or trisomy 21. But it was only in the late 1990s that we uh, developed the capability, and this was all a spinoff of the Human Genome Project, developed the capability to identify single genes that cause heart defects. And at the same time, there were other uh, technical advances that led us to the, uh, the FISH test, the microarray that you heard uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, and so I think now there's really been uh, a major change in thinking 
that most of the congenital heart defects that we see do have a genetic component to them. A major contributor is the genetic abnormality. Uh, and we, uh, we understand the genetics in some instances, but still I would say largely in most cases we still don't know the cause, although we're pursuing uh, the, the genetic causes. Well, I remember about 15 years ago, there were some scientists who were saying that it's probably not something simple. It's probably not just genetic to explain all of the heart defects, and it's probably not just um, environmental, but that there's probably an interplay between the two that causes most of the heart defects. Would you agree with that? Yes, and and I think um, although we have found some single genes, you can also have genetic conditions where the inheritance is complex, so it takes more than one genetic abnormality. And I think the challenge is going to be nailing down exactly what the genetic and environmental contributors are because I think it's with this information then that we would be able to advise families <clears throat> about their risk, how to avoid risk, and so forth. Absolutely. Well, when I was doing my research, I came across one particular defect, 22Q11.2 deletion syndrome. I don't know if that's how you scientists usually refer to it. It looks pretty complicated, but I actually found a fairly large group of people on Facebook who suffer from this, and they told me that there's premature death in adults who are afflicted with that chromosomal mutation. So I was told that they're actually doing some research in Canada where they're trying to identify adults who may have this chromosomal mutation. Do you know if the same kind of thing is happening here in the United States? Well, I, I, uh, I, I think this chromosome 22Q11 syndrome uh, really tells us a lot uh, about what we know and what we don't know and sort of points in a direction of how we're going to go. So this uh, genetic syndrome was known by several name, names, uh, DeGeorge syndrome, Sprintson syndrome, velocardiofacial syndrome, conotruncal anomaly face syndrome, and so forth, <clears throat> indicating that uh, physicians around the world had recognized a uh, constellation of abnormalities, but it was only uh, in the 1990s that we identified what the genetic problem was. And now the genetic test gives us a, 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 a different kind of gold standard than we had clinically. And we've learned that uh, if you're looking at infants with clinical critical congenital heart defects, so infants who may need surgery early in life, that uh, the 22Q11 deletion uh, is, is pretty common. But we've also learned if you uh, are looking at older children or adults who have developmental disability, that they could also have the 22Q deletion and they may not have any heart defect at all. So depending on the the, the patient group that you're looking at, uh, this could have a very high incidence of heart defects. Um, there are certain particular types of heart defects that have been associated 
but I think if you look at a large number of patients with this uh, genetic abnormality, that the heart defects are quite varied. Right. As our as our field has matured, now we have uh, survivors of surgery who are living into the second, third, fourth, fifth decade. Uh, that we're beginning to learn about aspects of the heart problem that we really weren't aware of. Uh, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, we didn't have really uh, nearly as good a surgical result. And so a lot of our patients didn't really live long enough to have uh, the problems that we see in adult life. So I think this report from Canada is shocking that uh, adult patients with this genetic abnormality, some of whom didn't have any congenital heart defect at all, still seem to have this risk for dying suddenly. And I think the thing that's sort of humbling to think about is that when somebody has a genetic abnormality like this, it affects every cell in the body has this genetic abnormality. Clinically, we're used to seeing the most obvious manifestations of the problem. But in some instances, it, take many, it may take many years for the full manifestations to become known. So I think in regard to the problem of the concern about sudden death and, and people with this genetic syndrome, we're still learning. So I think individuals that have this condition uh, need to learn about advocacy uh, because they're learning about their problem sort of at the same time that their physician, because I think as one of your earlier speakers pointed out, a lot of the genetic testing that we have today wasn't really available 20 years ago. I know. It's just amazing to me how much we are learning, and it seems like exponentially faster we are learning things today than what we were just 20 or 30 years ago. So what kind of advice would you give to parents who are dealing with families that have more than one child who's affected with a congenital heart defect? Is that the kind of family who should definitely seek genetic testing? Absolutely. And I think still this is another situation where the families who are highly motivated to learn everything they can about their child's problems, they may actually know more than their physician uh, if he trained more than 20 years ago. And so I think this is one situation where it's really the parents who are leading the revolution and they need to be reassured that it's perfectly okay to ask their doctor the hard question. Uh, you know, doctor, we read an article in Time Magazine last week that mentioned a gene that had been associated with a condition like our son has. Have you tested him for that? Um, and I think it's uh, activities like <clears throat> your radio show that parents become better informed uh, about things and, and know the questions to ask. So I would say in that situation, uh, the only thing that the parents have any control over is their own sense that they've gotten all the information uh, that's available. Wow. You're a very powerful speaker, Dr. Benson. I really appreciate you giving us your time and helping to us understand this very complex subject of genetics. 
And thank you for the detective work that you've been doing to try to determine what the exact cause of congenital heart defects may be and to give the scientists an opportunity to pinpoint where the problems lie because this is how we're going to find a cure. And I think you're right. It's going to take parents working with doctors and scientists. We all have to work together for this. Unfortunately, now I have to take another commercial break, but I want to thank you, Dr. Benson. You are an outstanding guest. Well, thank you and keep up your good work. Well, thank you. I intend to. Uh, We will take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will have our miracle moment where we will be hearing the story of how one young woman who was born with a congenital heart defect herself decided to have a baby against her doctor's advice and what happened to both her and her baby. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. That's Anna at Heart to Heart with Anna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna. And now for our miracle moment. Today's miracle moment is an excerpt from the book, The Heart of a Mother, and it's from the chapter entitled Mothers with Congenital Heart Defects. This is from Becky LaVault's beautiful essay entitled A Healthy Baby. The day after I learned I was pregnant, I called my cardiologist. I was born with a congenital heart defect called transposition of the great arteries, and when I was 16 months old, I underwent the mustard procedure. The surgery was successful, and though I have experienced cardiac symptoms such as occasional arrhythmias, fatigue, and shortness of breath, I never had any problems. Still, because of my condition, I knew I should be monitored, so I called my pediatric cardiologist and asked for a referral to a new cardiologist. I felt embarrassed being 23 years old, pregnant, and still going to the local children's hospital for treatment. He gave me the names of a few cardiologists who specialize in the treatment of adults with congenital heart defects. We then chatted for a few minutes about my health, and he asked me what else was going on. I hesitated because I still had not told anyone about my pregnancy except for my husband. But then I just blurted out, I'm pregnant! 
I will never forget the silence or the words that followed. You are not planning on keeping the pregnancy, are you? I felt as if I were going to be sick. Somehow I managed to express that I wanted to have the baby I was carrying. My doctor immediately apologized for having been so abrupt. He explained to me that because of my condition, pregnancy might be very dangerous for me, possibly life-threatening. He urged me to see one of the specialists as soon as possible to determine whether or not I would be able to keep the pregnancy. When I hung up the phone, I began to wonder why no doctor had ever mentioned the possible dangers to me before. The excitement over my pregnancy transformed into silence between my husband and me. There were many heavy sighs and cautious stares in our household. Finally, it was time to meet with my new cardiologist. I had grown accustomed to a very personal one-on-one relationship with my pediatric cardiologist. I was shocked when my husband and I were waiting in the examination room and three doctors and a nurse came in. One of the doctors began by telling me that they would not discuss my pregnancy until they had examined me. They also warned me that it was possible that they might recommend termination of the pregnancy, dependent on my condition. They emphasized that to protect my own health, I needed to follow their recommendations regarding the pregnancy, whatever they may be. My husband and I looked at each other and then agreed. After an examination and an echocardiogram, they led me back to the examining room. I could hear the muffled voices of the doctors discussing my case in the hallway. When they came back into the room, it seemed as though the tension had lifted somewhat, although the doctor's demeanor was still very serious. They informed me that based upon their examination, they believed I could continue the pregnancy. Then the doctors told me about something I had not even considered, the possibility that my child might have a congenital heart defect. Although CHD is generally not believed to be hereditary, there seems to be a slightly higher incidence of it among the offspring of people who had a CHD themselves, which warrants fetal testing. A fetal echocardiogram would be done between the fourth and fifth months of my pregnancy to determine the health of my child's heart. Again, the doctors told me that if they suggested an abortion at that point in the pregnancy, I should highly consider following their recommendations. With all of these things racing through my mind, I set up my next appointment, thanked them, and said goodbye. As we walked out of the elevator toward the car, Chris said to me, if there is anything wrong with the baby's heart, I want you to abort. I can't even express how stunned and hurt I was when I heard him say this. Did this mean he would not love a child of ours if it were not perfect? I know he was just scared, but it hurt me so badly to think about aborting my child, especially if there were a problem that could be fixed. I also began to wonder, if my parents had known of my defect before I was born, would they have chosen to abort me? Due to time limitations, I have to stop reading Becky's beautiful essay here, but I recommend you all get a copy of The Heart of a Mother and turn to page 260 to read Becky's essay. I won't leave you in suspense. I think Becky's title, A Healthy Baby, strongly hints at the outcome of her pregnancy. Lucky for Becky and Chris, their son was born without a heart defect, and Becky endured the birthing process successfully. In light of what we've just learned in our episode today, I would say that this indeed was a miracle moment. That concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. I hope you'll come back next week when our show will be called Cora's Law and Why It's Important. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook, check out our website, and remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. 
Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.